Welcome to Rob's Reliability Project, a podcast for reliability people to better themselves, both at work and at home. Now let's get rolling. Hey guys, welcome back to Rob's Reliability Project. I'm Rob Kalvaroski. On this week's episode, I welcome Shadrach Stevens to talk about collaboration, reliability leadership, and using the voice of the customer to push your reliability initiatives. If you haven't yet, check out my website, robsreliability.com, and sign up for my weekly reliability newsletter with some extra bonus content. Also, if you like the show, I'd really appreciate it if you told your colleagues about it and follow Rob's Reliability Project on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. Do you want a better reliability program? Do you want better data quality in your CMMS? Well, having frustrated and overworked shop floor people isn't the way to get that great reliability program. Often we make our mechanics, millwrights, and operators do paper rounds and then transcribe that information into a desktop CMMS. This causes more frustration and will likely lose data quality in that process. So why don't we try something different? Upkeep maintenance management is different. It's a mobile first CMMS that takes the work out of work orders with its easy to use mobile application. With a snap of a picture and just a few keystrokes on your mobile device, you can update work orders in a matter of seconds. Upkeep is a mobile first CMMS designed to be easy for your maintenance personnel. So easy, it was voted number one for ease of use by maintenance teams. Rob's Reliability Project has partnered with Upkeep to not only give you a great mobile first CMMS, but also if you purchase an annual subscription, you get one month free and a bonus one hour free coaching call with me. Make your reliability program better and make your text lives easier by going to robsreliability.com upkeep and sign up today. Hey guys, we're back and I have a great guest today. I'm here with Shadrach Stevens. Shadrach, how are you today? Uh, doing awesome. Thanks for asking. Awesome. No, thanks for joining us on the show. I, I wanted to have you on because I was, you know, I saw that you guys posted a like a background of one of the actually I think I think Sonia was the first guest I had on this podcast at least on the episodes that are still up. So you guys posted a, a background on Sonia on reengineer and so I had to you know I had to have you guys on. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Sonia has been probably one of our, our biggest advocates with the uh, the new reengineer project and actually a lot of a lot of credit goes to her. She gave me that first push, so to speak, um, to get out there and get started with the new initiative. Yeah, and she she's great. So why don't we, so first off, before we dive into it, you're the global improvement and reliability leader at Dow, and you are obviously one of the founders of ReEngineer, which if people are looking to find it, they can just go to reengineer.co. Now, why don't you just give us a background on yourself? How'd you get your start in reliability? 
Sure. Well, I'd, I'd say maybe not the traditional approach to reliability, and, and maybe I'll get to that at a, in a moment. Um, but I started early in my career, I guess, this whole concept around uh, value creation and continuous improvement. Um, but I started my career at a summer internship at Ford Motor Company. And in that particular role, I was given an opportunity by my leader to attend some Six Sigma training. And in partnership with the, the maintenance engineering internship, um, I was able to learn a lot about defect elimination. Um, I also did a few intern projects to help reduce uh, some of the downtime within that particular plant um, and also got a chance to improve upon the operator experience. And so I think yet yeah, that's where I got my first taste of reliability, even though it, it may not have been called that in that fashion uh, within Six Sigma. But then from that role, I also had an opportunity to work for Carrier, which is the HVAC manufacturer. Um, and in that first engineering role, I was kind of more formally trained in the, the continuous improvement process. Uh, at that particular site, they actually conducted what they call Kaizen events, uh, which is the Japanese word for continuous improvement. And so in, in that role, I was uh, kind of built a career around waste reduction. And in every job I've had up until this this most recent one, I've been in, in maintenance and directly into reliability engineering. And in that particular job, I was tasked with doing a few Kaizen events um, to improve upon first pass yield and maintenance downtime. So even though the continuous improvement or waste reduction um, initiatives were there more for more productivity sake, um, I was able to use some of those methodologies for my maintenance role in reducing downtime. But, but I'd say, you know, through those couple of interactions with some of the formal trainings I've had, um, it was when I actually worked, started working at Dow, uh, where I was formally trained on the Behringer's the reliability engineering principles. Um, and so I got exposure to mean time between failure, uh, Weibull analysis, uh, learn how to do reliability growth plots. Um, and actually, my first official reliability project was to develop an instrument reliability model to be leveraged across the plant there in Freeport. Um, so I learned a lot about process instrumentation. Um, I also had a very powerful team of engineers and technologists that supported me on that project. But um, in that first couple of years where we implemented this, uh, this, this particular strategy, we were able to address about $4 million of repetitive maintenance challenges. And so that was my, my, my kind of kickstart into reliabilities going through that, that Behringer Reliability Engineering Principles course. Um, and then by that time, I had, you know, a few years of experience with the continuous improvement side of things. And so I've learned really quickly that the, all of these methodologies, you know, match with the reliability principles can really help accelerate um, your reliability improvement. So I've tried to keep that as a foundation throughout my entire career. Oh, yeah, I, I agree 100 percent. And, you know, it, it's something that you kind of touched on, you you said it was, it was a little bit different, but to me, I think if you talk to anyone who actually knows reliability, like I see that continuous improvement reliability, it doesn't matter if you're on the increasing production side or increasing output side, or if you're reducing the downtime at the end of the day, your plant becomes more profitable. And, you know, I, I just see like, it doesn't, it, you know, it's it's kind of like running. If you run forward or you run backwards, you're still going somewhere. So if you're going in the right direction, it doesn't really matter what you call it. Yeah, absolutely. I think if 
you know, I, I haven't seen this in industry yet, but if you can take, you know, some of those methodologies and the best of the tool sets of each one of those and combine them into just one overall orching improvement methodology, I think you'll see a, you know, a lot of uh, growth potential between the Six Sigma world, uh, continuous improvement, and also reliability principles. Um, and I guess, you know, it's maybe a shame that we haven't done something like that in our industry yet. We kind of keep them in, in separate silos. Uh, but that's one thing I've tried to really do is merge the worlds together, um, ultimately to, to come back to value creation for the plants that I supported. Yeah, well, if if you haven't seen it, we could do it right now. <laughs> hey, let's do it, man. We have uh, re-engineer is up, so uh, there's no telling where we're going. Where we're going with the uh, the new initiative? That's right. So, why don't you tell us a little bit about re-engineer? So, for people listening, they can go to reengineer.co. Now, what's the goal of that website, and and like, give us the spiel on it. Uh, sure. So, yeah, Reengineer is really my latest project. Uh, it started really as a personal project, but we've grown uh, quite a bit over the last four months into uh, in, in adopting a few team members. But I've always had a passion for, for value creation throughout my career. And I was told early in, in that career, for engineers, um, your core responsibility is to create five to seven times your salary every year. And one of my, my good mentors mentioned that to me early in my, my Dow career. And everywhere I've worked, I've tried to keep that uh, really in the forefront is that, you know, obviously you work for a corporation or a business. One of your core deliverables is to make sure it's valuable. And you try to, as best as you can, uh, monetize that, that work that you do into a, a certain value creation. So um, I've done that in, in my foundation and throughout my career. And with the re-engineer, uh, if I could put it very simply, imagine that if you logged into a re-engineer account and you posted a challenge that you're experiencing at work or at business um, or at home, and within a few hours, you were able to get several responses in your inbox on some perspectives on how to address that challenge. And that's really the power of the re-engineer concept is that we want to drive a more collaborative discussion around creating value. And one thing I've thought about is, um, as I created the, the founded the company, um, is that if you can, you know, reach out to folks that have more experience in a particular discipline than you, than you have, um, and then be able to connect with them at a level where you can share some of those experiences, then you can accelerate in your development and growth and even maybe solve some of the, the, the tough challenges you're faced with. And so reengineer provides this portal um, through social media to be able to connect with other professionals, um, to go and solve problems or share ideas with uh, some of the, the experiences that you have across your career. Um, and then, the, the, like I said before, the awesome thing is I'm not doing this alone. We have five other highly successful professionals that I've partnered with to uh, to create this this new concept around reengineer. And if I can, I want to give a quick shout out to my team. Um, uh, the first one is Ashley Martin. She's actually a, a leadership consultant out of Houston, Texas, um, that I have some history with uh, in, in past projects. Uh, Brant Smith, he's a business development manager, and his background is also in instrumentation and reliability, and he has some success within uh, SIS or safety instrument and systems. Uh, Millicent Scales is an engineering manager, and she's probably one of the most powerful and intense engineering leaders I've ever met. I actually went to school with her in undergraduate. Um, and then next up, we have Kate. Scorsella, 
Kate was actually my first uh, professional engineering peer um, right out of college. And we've just connected throughout the years as we've tra- transitioned from company to company. And then uh, last but not least, we have Sonia Mothra, uh, and she's probably one of the most brilliant engineering and reliability leaders I've ever met. And so all of these folks have, have partnered with me in the, the past on, on problem solving or value creation. And they definitely have a mindset of being a true leader in their discipline and really wanted to bring this team together to help drive that uh, that concept across social media. Yeah, no, it's I mean, it's a great vision and it's something that we do also here on the show is like I get to interview people who are the best at what they do. And, you know, it's about sharing ideas. It's about learning. And then also, like I offer my platform like if people want to have a question answered on the show, definitely hit me up, send me an email, Rob's Reliability Project at gmail.com. And then I'll ask it either, I'll give you my thoughts on it and I'll ask it to, if I don't know the answer, I'll ask you, sorry, I'll ask it to the experts. So that that's, I mean, it's all about learning and all about getting better. So I, I love where you guys are going. Yeah, yeah, I think, and I say this all the time, but collaboration is the new innovation. Right. I mean, we're in this this uh, this period of industry where we're calling industry 4.0 and there's a lot of technology and, and innovation that's occurring. But if you just kind of focus back to the basics around collaborating between professionals, I think that's where we, we may. I think we we talk a good game about, you know, working uh, across interdiscipline uh, teams. But a lot of cases we don't follow through on how we collaborate. And I think that's really one of the next tiers of, of breakthroughs across all of manufacturing is that once we can break down the barriers between, you know, the different um, generations of, of knowledge and start collaborating more, then we can see, you know, value created more in an exponential rate. You know, and, and also with the re-engineer concept, we're not only just focused on STEM, which is science, technology, engineering and mathematics, um, but we also try to to lean towards you know, diversity and inclusion and also continuous improvement. Um, as you're probably aware, there's a lot of movement in the DNI space across the industry. And we want to make sure that we, we're also giving a voice to people that don't commonly have a voice um, as they work towards developing themselves as, across STEM, uh, STEM disciplines. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, no, I definitely think collaboration's the next I mean, it's it's not the next. It is like it's always been this way, and, and you you really see it. And I, I, you know, I was actually having a conversation this morning, well, recording another podcast with another company that that they're doing machine learning, artificial intelligence, and it, the the conversation at the end we ended back up to this whole, you know, it's about culture, it's about change management, it's about people, and. It's kind of funny because uh, a few years ago, I was at a site and I was talking to one of the mechanics who works on the floor and he was kind of complaining about this. They got they got a new piece of equipment and it was designed, there was new design to it and they were having really problems with it. And he, he said to me, he said, you know, there's never new problems. There's only new engineers. <laughs> I think I, I might have heard that a time or two in my career. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's it's really true, right? Like we've seen a lot of, you know, we've seen a lot of the same problems. Like 
certain things can only fail a limited amount of ways. And, and I think that the more you rely on the experience and you collaborate between people and departments and skill sets, the, the closer you're going to get to the answer. Oh, no doubt. I think if, so I've been in my career uh, 15, 16 years. And if I look back, probably some of the most impactful projects that I've worked on really were the result of some some very significant collaborations. And when I say that collaborations is not not mainly for uh, like other reliability engineers or other instrument uh, instrument and control valve leaders, but it's been across the, the job functions, like with the operators, with the techs, technicians, technologists that actually support the plants uh, um, every single day. And it's unfortunate that, you know, a lot of cases, they have some of the resolutions right there in a package if someone just, you know, just stays quiet and listens to them. Uh, but if I look back across my career, a lot of those those main projects that I've delivered upon has come as a result of, of really listening to the, the, the technical folks um, and then just being really a voice for them, because I think they do have good solutions and they provide, like in your case, your example, provide very good input into projects into, uh, you know, maybe some of the past sins of the past. And I think uh, it's unfortunate, but I really want to drive in, including with this re-engineer concept, is how do you engage at all levels of your organization or, or folks or professionals that uh, that are from the shop floor level all the way up to the leadership ranks? Um, because I think everybody has really good keen insight that they can provide input into being successful. But yeah, I, I agree with you, man. I, it's a it's something that I think we have to really focus more on to be more inclusive to all levels of the organization. Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it a bunch of times on the show, but the shop floor, you know, they have the answers, right? Like we're, you know, if you look at RCM or you look at root cause analysis, like all these things there, like what are you really doing? You're facilitating getting the answer from the subject matter expert who typically is the mechanic, the operator, right? And it's like w- reliability, we're, we're more about the process and packaging it up and kind of doing the, you know, printing it up for management almost. But the answers really come from the people who are at the equipment level that are physically interacting with it every day. Oh, absolutely. And, and actually for me in my career, that's really who taught me the I guess you could call it the technology of uh, instrumentation. And, you know, I obviously went to school and got an electrical engineering degree, but it was through the, the shops where I really learned the discipline of uh, instrumentation. And, and yes, yeah, so I totally agree with you. I think even if uh, when I started my career, I probably spent more time with the technicians and the operators than I did with my own engineering peers. And what I found out is that if you just, you know, invest that time and energy and, and really listening, to uh, their needs, they will give you also the opportunities, right? They'll say, well, you know, hey, I've been in this role for seven years, 10 years, and this has always been a problem. And I wonder if, you know, if we have the right mix of skills or, or equipment that we can address this problem. Uh, so you can't get those those uh, those quick wins or those opportunities by just only interfacing with the same people every day. And so I, I try to really make sure I, I passion my career around uh, you know, the technical folks and making sure that they, I help meet their needs and as well as kind of support them in their in their goals and aspirations on life. 
Now, when you're interfacing like with the shop floor, is this like an informal thing or, or are you doing it kind of more formalized, like having meetings with them or how does that look like? So it's actually both. And I mean, it's simple, right? It could be as, as easy as just, hey, having, having breakfast in the morning before you get your day started. Or even in, in the, uh, uh, I actually worked at Deer Park, Texas at one of the other dial facilities. And we did some work around instrument reliability. And uh, one of the, I guess, the, the core um, developments that we did was we trained all of our technologists and technicians on how to do informal RCIs. And so, it, it, you know, obviously it didn't start that way when we rolled out our, our program. But over the years, uh, we actually trained them on how to document, you know, uh, root cause investigations or going through certain failure, uh, failure modes when they when they troubleshot equipment. And so that way, when the REs got engaged, there was this foundation of what was already done as a part of doing the investigation. And then, of course, you go through the the methodologies, the cause and effect methodologies to go through and define the root causes. Um, but I think it's it's number one, establishing a strong relationship uh, with the shop floor. And then number two, making sure that you uh, are responsible for training and developing them. You know, even though I was an instrument reliability, uh, reliability engineer in that particular role, I felt that anyone in, in our organization um, could could be able to be trained on how to do initial RCIs. And so in, in that role, we were averaging about 50 or so uh, reactor trips per year. And so there was always an opportunity to go and investigate uh, instrumentation. And that was also too much for one person to really manage. So we said, you know what, we'll, we'll invest some time and teach these guys how to put together, a, you know, investigation strategy on what to look for, you know, how to, uh, you know, pull up a database of, of history to be able to help with their troubleshooting aids. And I think that's in that particular program, that's really how we got accelerated was because it was not only just one engineer that was responsible for doing these, these RCIs, uh, but you also had a team of seven people now doing some of the preliminary work. Yeah, the, having proper documentation is is going to be huge, especially like given a lot of the workforce kind of, if, if you see it kind of how I see it, it, there's a lot of the trades, they're kind of close to retirement. And if that knowledge walks out the door, we're going to be in a big problem. Oh, absolutely. I think in, in that particular case, um, and it's uh, it's kind of more informal, but so when we would have an, a particular investigation completed, you know, we would compile a report and send it upwards to our, our leadership. And actually, one of the technicians came out of my office one day and said, "In Shadrach, you, when you send out those reports, man, they're awesome. You get a lot of great feedback. Um, you even get some um, some kudos for doing a deep drill into the investigation. You know, how can I do that?" And so that particular person was really motivated by that sense of recognition you get uh, when you invest the time and energy to do a very detailed investigation report. And it, it kind of started off with that moment. And then I saw, well, it picked up with other technicians as they wanted to also be a part of the, the process of just documenting what was found. Um, and I think over I was in that particular role for about three years. And the time I left, man, we had a a database full of investigative reports that anyone coming in after us will be able to tap into and, and just kind of see the trail of what was completed across those instrument technologies. 
Uh, and so, yeah, I agree with your point, you know, with the, I guess the, the next wave of, of baby boomers retiring, you know, who's responsible for, for maintaining that data, um, you know, and, and documenting in a way that others can come up and hit the ground running once they, they realize, you know, what was done in the past. Yeah. I mean, I think we're responsible. Yeah. I mean, somebody's got to be an advocate though, right? Somebody's got to, got to see the vision and, and really treat it as a continuous improvement and not just a, uh, you know, kind of a quick win scenario. We have to think reliability is a multi-generational plan and not just a year by year point of view. So when we're, when we're thinking more long-term, like clearly it's got to be a sell to upper management because other, like if people think that reliability is just something where you're like putting a coin in the slot machine and, and like, you're going to get payback immediately. Like they're going to be, I mean, they're just going to not be happy, but like, how do you interface with management and kind of sell them the, the long-term vision of reliability? Well, I think what's key is you have to engage your, your leadership very early on, right? So if you have this idea or concept that you want to you want to drive a highly reliable organization, um, it, they have to provide some input, right? Because at the end of the day, they are going to support it either through resources, uh, financial resources or people resources, and they have to feel like they are engaged by providing their input. Um, I think if you ask more specifically, some of the things that I've done throughout my career is make sure we do a voice of the customer uh, kind of a session and, and invite the leaders and also invite the operators and the technician and really hear out their concerns from either the top down or the bottom up. And what you realize is that most of them have the same common concerns. Uh, but I think many times we, we really jump into this reliability uh uh, conversation with just going and, and doing problem solving, but it takes a little bit of salesmanship to really get that that buy-in or that support. And I think it's all about can you sell the case for change that with the input from the top down um, and bottom up, roll that into a strategy and get it supported at the very beginning, so that and then you also you sell it as a multi-generational plan that this is not just a a short stopgap. Um, to address some immediate needs. But hey, this is where we're going to drive our reliability program for the next five years. So they can see the vision and then buy into it or even at least give some some perspective or some comments on how they want to maybe tweak it so it can fit the direction of the organization. So tell me a little bit more about this voice of the customer. Yeah. So in, in the example I, I mentioned with Deer Park, uh, and I actually pull upon my my uh, my lean manufacturing and Kaizen days, but it's basically you set up. Um, it was you know somewhat of a voice of the customer slash Kaizen, but you set up a week long of activities where um, you pull the key stakeholders into one room and you show them the data. You show them where the reliability has been challenged over whatever period of time, and you start to really brainstorm what some of the improvement uh, suggestions would be. And for our case. And like I mentioned before, we had 50 unplanned events per year. And so we had a lot of uh, downtime examples where we could talk through what are some of the commonalities between some of the equipment failures? Or is it, you know, I believe definitely that the majority of the root causes of these events can be lead or can be tracked back to people. And so we talked a lot about training and developing. 
making sure that this, the skill set matched the need of our reliability program. Um, we also talked about certain technologies that we just knew and certain processes would be challenged. So we talked about how do we get some support for capital projects to be able to upgrade those technologies. But it was very simple. We, we just sat down and said, look, here's the data. This is what we see. Um, in that particular case, we actually did some uh, some visual assessments and we took some pictures of some of the worst conditions we thought. And we shared that with the leadership. And you could just see the, the jaws drop, right? When they see that, hey, the reliability is really challenged. But hey, by the way, look at the pictures that represent some of the end of life assets that are out there. Um, so we, we shared that information to them and we just sat back and listened. Um, we took notes upon what that they what they thought to be the uh, I guess the immediate needs. And actually that that session rolled into what we define as our strategy. Uh, the leader said two things. We need to stop the bleeding and we also need to drive towards a more highly reliable organization. So for for our team, that translated into we need short term um, strategies and long term strategies. And we have to do them simultaneously. Right. They have to be uh, interactive between each other, because if we focus on one more than the other, we won't have good long term success. So really, the, the voice of the customer session laid, I guess you could call it the framework on how we would develop that that multi-generational strategy. I really I really love that. Now, the one thing that I was was thinking was, how do you sort of strip away the, I guess it's, it's, it's kind of the reservations that people would have. Like, like if you're an operator and you're telling the CEO that, you know, the plant's kind of a mess, how do you strip away that reservation that, that they would get fired or there'd be some sort of action because of that? Yeah, I think that's why, and I mentioned this uh, in some of the uh, the other presentations I've done, you have to have an advocate, someone that is amongst the team that be, can be considered a leader. And it doesn't always necessarily have to be a member of management. Um, but that leader, like in this particular case, I was the leader for them. And I was the interface between management and the plant floor. And so in, in our voice of the customer exercise, you know, we spend time one on one with the operators and the technician to get that level of feedback. But as we showcased it, we didn't say it came from particular individuals. Right. We wanted to protect the, uh, the innocent. So we scrubbed down that information. Right. And said, look, these are you know, we've had an assessment done um, based upon this level of input from, you know, the maintenance organization, the operations organization. And these are what we consider to be our top opportunities. And not only that, but hey, here's some data that supports it. You know, here's the the pictures that we've taken over the last couple of months, or or here is the the uh, asset utilization information for that particular asset. Um, and so, yeah, we, we really try, in my case, try to be their voice without them having to take those uh, those hits from management. Yeah, no, I I really like that, and and I think a lot of people listening like. I, I, it seems to me like a lot of companies, they'll hire an external consultant to kind of be that quote unquote voice of the customer, but you've done it as an internal champion. So, you know, if you're out there and you're listening, like you don't actually have to hire an external consultant. You can be the one who puts this all together and, you know, gets that reliability change. 
Yeah, and then give me the money, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I'm never going to say no. You can send the check in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean it's it's what I mean what you call grassroots. If you can take someone that is, so I think you have to be in, intentional and make sure you have the right fit for that person that's going to be a champion. Um, and if you speak in terms of reliability, obviously that person needs some background in the principles of reliability, uh, maybe some continuous improvement background. And then also they have to, to know at least a basic foundation of technology, right? If you're in the mechanical discipline or in my case, instrumentation, um, I think it is not impossible, but I do think it's, 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 it's long-term beneficial to have someone who's not an entry-level person to be that, uh, that champion. And so I, I would say, yeah, if, you, if you're in an organization and you have, you know, that, that foundational level of experience and maybe you've done some projects where you really drove some value, then yes, you can serve as that champion um, to gain the, the support of both the leadership and the, the, the peers at the uh, shop floor level. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I really, I really like that approach. And, and kind of the one thing I, I also liked about it was, you know, you went and took some pictures where people can see kind of the state of their equipment. And I think that it's something that oftentimes, you know, like when the, the plant manager or, or in, in other cases where like the CEOs in another city, when they come for a plant tour, typically everything's like, they clean it up just for them. They take them on this specific route of all the shiny things and they really lose perspective of what's actually going on every day. And I think those pictures really help kind of connect the dots for people. Oh, no doubt. I think, um, like I mentioned, you, you have to be a salesman. And one of the things that resonates with people is right pictures. And when they see of course, they, you know, those folks in the organization, uh, regional managers or, or vice presidents, you know, they've come up through the ranks. So they understand um, a lot of uh, equipment technology. And so they're not so far removed from it. But maybe they need a, a gentle reminder of um, some of those types of deficiencies. And, and in our particular case, we did, I think it was around 10,000 assessments and, and probably a fourth of them. Uh, had a level of deficiency that, if not addressed within the next five years, would potentially cause the plant to shut down. And so when you, you tell that story and back it up with some pictorial representation or some perspective, I think uh, you, you definitely gain some ground with the buy-in. But you got to be careful, too, right, because it comes with, once you get the support, it comes with some accountability that, that now you're going to actually go out there and execute. And um, I think that's one one of the, the elements that we spend probably less time with, we spend a tremendous amount of time in building the case, uh, putting together the strategy, but sometimes not as much focus is, is on the execution plan. And so what will happen is we, we develop a lot of energy and momentum to start off our, our reliability initiative, but then it kind of dies when the whirlwind hits us, right? Just because we rolled out a new strategy does not mean there's going to be that phone call that disrupts your strategy or that unplanned event that takes you away from from staying connected to the actions from your strategy. Um, so I think you got to have really careful consideration for the strategy and the execution plan and be really highly disciplined to, to stay on track with your execution. 
So how do we keep that momentum going through the execution phase? I think the key thing is communication. So as a part of your rollout of the strategy, and it goes back to accountability, is that you, you tell the leadership, hey, we're going to be committed to, to communicating out once a month, once a quarter, what the progress of our, our program is. Um, and then that way they can still feel connected or engaged that, that the program is going in the right direction. Um, but in, in terms of leadership, the key thing is communication and then the famous quote, show me the money. Right. If you can be able to document, you know, what your opportunities are and translate those or or, uh, or show the financial impact to the bottom line. I think they're very engaged to that because, they, of course, they want to want to see you uh, increase production or reduce maintenance costs, et cetera. But I think that works for both levels of the organization, not just the leaders, but your team, including the operators and the technicians and the uh, the crafts. They can see that they're, the work that they're contributing towards actually is adding back to that bottom line. So the key thing is the communication chain or lines of communication chains are open and then making sure you can kind of monetize the work that you're producing into a, a bottom line value. Yeah. And, and one thing, actually, one thing I've been talking about recently has been the, the monetization. Like, what does that look like to you? Because oftentimes we'll see monetization, which is significantly higher than sort of what's possible, or in other cases, they, it's significantly lower than probably what's what's actually happening. I, I think, you know, I just speak off of experience. What I've always tried to do is is have a very good relationship with someone in, in finance and accounting, right? Because you, you don't want to publish uh, potential savings without it being vetted through and uh, close to actuality. Um, so in, in our case, in, in the Deer Park situation, we did have someone on our team um, that was able to give us not we didn't we came up with the the uh, the downtime and then they they helped translate into what EBIT uh, savings that would be. So that way we were ever challenged uh, from a financial standpoint that we, you know, pull some number out of the sky. We could we could track that back to where it actually hit against EBITDA. I like that approach, and I've had throughout my career, I've had some issues with uh, that opportunity cost or downtime cost. So that'll be for another show. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm making it seem more simple than it is. There is a lot, <laughs> a lot of research and uh, investigative work that you have to do, but the key thing is you don't have to do it as a reliability professional. Um, there are folks in the in your organization that can help you produce what those, uh, those financial results are. And, and there, there may be some, some, uh, some barriers to being able to actually, actually attain that information, but then that's when you get to the, to the, the ranks of leadership and you, t- and you tell them, Hey, this is needed to tell our story, right? If we think there's a lot of potential out there um, and we want some investment, then we need to understand what that translates into financial savings for our, our organization. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. And really, that internal marketing, it's so huge because especially like especially if you can give credit to, you know, one of the shop floor guys or one of the operators, if you can give that credit and make them look good as part of your reliability initiative, you're just going to build momentum and keep that going. Oh, absolutely. That, that's going to be key. I mean, that's one of the, the, the elements to sustaining that momentum. 
is when they feel like they can get the recognition for contributing to the overall success. And it's not just a story, but hey, here's, you know, you, you by reducing these control valve repairs, you save $50,000, $100,000. That's something that they can put in their uh, performance at the end of the year and helps them even get, get a uh, compete better for raises or promotions, et cetera. Um, which I think that as engineers, we have that obligation to get back to our peers um, from the shop floor perspective. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. The last question I got for you before we get you out of here is, you know, we've seen a lot of technology kind of come through the the pipes recently, you know, augmented reality, virtual reality, machine learning, AI, those types of things. Where do you see the future of reliability going? Well, I, so I, I, I will say machine learning or condition-based uh, maintenance, condition-based monitoring has been around for a while. Um, and the reason why I say that is I remember going into, into Deer Park and they had a subset of uh, asset management tools. Um, this was back in the uh, 2010-11 timeframe that in that particular period, those asset tools were there even 10 years plus. Uh, so I, I like what where the industry is going with machine learning, but I will say it's been around for a while. Um, I think now that we're just really getting engaged to certain applications where it's driving some benefit. Uh, but I, I do think the next two to five years, and this is maybe something that's totally in left field, but uh, I've been doing some research around this topic, and there's a, a certain um, concept called XAAS, and that means as a service. Uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of that before, but when you look at the top 50 tech companies in the world, they are realizing more revenue growth in services than in traditional products in technology. And I think we, we, we talked about this earlier in the call, but many of our baby boomers are retiring and companies are, are, are looking for ways to leverage more expertise. Um, and I think providing more reliability services versus just only providing the technology is what we're going to start seeing in the next several years. Um, and just a quick data point to represent that from 2011 to 2017, technology products have revenues have gone down $200 billion, but services are up $50 billion in that time frame. So that, that lets me believe the, the trend is going more toward that service, service based organizations where they, they may sell, uh, you know, AR, VR technologies. But they also going to combine that with a package that says, I'm going to also sell you the technology, but I'll sell you the service to support the technology so that we can realize the value. Yeah, no, I, I really like that. And and I guess, you know, they're probably selling our data on the back end anyways, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> so Shadrach, I, I'm, you know, I had a great time with this interview and, and we're definitely going to have you back on in the future. Now, do you have anything to plug? Like, are you going to be at any conferences coming up? People, obviously they should check out reengineer.co. Do you want them to follow you on LinkedIn? Like, give us the spiel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, my, my latest project, Reengineer, is uh, where I'm spending a lot of attention and focus on. I think it has a tremendous opportunity for us to collaborate um, at a higher level. So if you want to get engaged with the initiative, uh, you can go to LinkedIn at Reengineer. There's an actual group page that you can um, assign to. 
And then also in Facebook, uh, we have a group page there and also a specific Facebook group uh, called Reengineer. So I would say look us up there. Uh, I think the simplest way to get connected to our initiative is through our website, uh, reengineer.co. And on there, you're going to see a whole uh, consortium of, of topics with reliability, continuous improvement. There's also some diversity and inclusion topics. Um, at least once a, a week or so, we'll do a, a particular uh, feature for an up-and-coming um, trending leader and get some perspectives from folks across the industry. Um, so you can go in there and, and, and to our blog and read some of those uh, particular examples. And we're also starting a, a new section, which is uh, case studies. So if you have any case studies that you've developed or documented over the years and you'd like to share those with other professionals, uh, we can get plugged in on reengineer.co and submit the case studies there. Awesome. That sounds great. And and definitely, Shadrach, if, if I can help you with any of this stuff, let me know because I'm, I'm happy to be I mean, I got to get signed up to your LinkedIn group and your Facebook group. I definitely am happy to plug anything on this show. Oh, absolutely. Hey, collaboration is a new technology and we're all about collabing. <laughs> awesome. No, I, I really appreciate you coming on and spending your Monday with us. Oh, no problem at all. Actually, very, uh, very good conversation today. Uh, looking forward to maybe another one in the future. Um, and then also, if anyone on the particular podcast wants to connect with me, they can connect through uh, LinkedIn and uh, we can continue some of these conversations offline. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you're looking to connect with Shadrach, just he'll be either tagged on the post if you came through LinkedIn or check the podcast notes, he'll be in there as well, as well as links to re-engineer. And I'll, I'll pull the ones from LinkedIn and Facebook as well. So if you want to check those out, definitely, definitely be a part of that community. So, Shadrach, thanks for joining us today. Awesome, awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity, and I'd love to connect again in the future. Absolutely. And everyone listening, I appreciate you guys listening. And if you haven't yet, subscribe to the podcast. Also, check out my website, robsreliability.com, and we'll see you all next week.